Do you love racing? Then you've come to the right place. We discuss current topics in most asphalt series, as well as deep dives into the history of racing, race cars, and the drivers. I'm NASCAR driver Derek Cope. I share some of my personal stories, as well as highlighting those people that shaped my career and others. I'm Alicia Cope, and we also take on controversial and engaging topics on many subjects, including NASCAR, as well as tips and tricks that have worked for us in building teams from scratch, keeping relationships, and finding new roads. Hopefully our experiences will inspire you to reach your own goals. Let's get started. Welcome back to Race Theory. It's episode 31, and it's called Balancing Ambition with Realism. So we're going to start with making a choice that we've already kind of assessed where we're going to go in racing. We've already made that, you know, entry-level choice. We're either going down a path of a heavy type vehicle, like a street stock or something like that, that we can afford, or we've chose karting at a very early age. Either for are, your kids or yeah, your kids or your, or, you know, your, your daughter or your, or your son. And, you know, or it's a situation that, you know, maybe it's for yourself and you're starting late in life, right? But you are making, you've already made that choice and you're going down these paths. So what certainly happens at this point is now it becomes an assessment process, especially if it's for your kids. And I think, in my opinion, it's very crucial time in a very crucial period that you start to set and implement and put things in place on how you're going to visualize, assess, motivate, instill things in them, and the process that you are going to have to learn about having the realistic expectations and balancing that with the reality of how proficient is my child at this juncture. Correct. You can have all the ambition in the world, but at some point it does come down to raw ability. It does. And I think there's certainly, in my opinion, again, levels of that proficiency. And I honestly believe that a lot of this can be learned. A lot of this can. In motorsports, it certainly can. I believe that. You, I believe you really can. If you put the effort forth and you, you know, have the, you know, the kid, the kids, they really do want this and it's not something you're pushing and you allow them to really see the level of intensity and commitment that they have. And then you just have to start to look at where the, where the deficiencies are at. I think it's important that you look at the levels of deficiency. You know, what, what is the things that they're not at good at as, as watching the other kids? What, what are we lacking in? Those are the things that my father really always did. You know, it's like he just said from the start, you are never going to be the best race car driver in the world. Understand that. But we're going to be the most well-rounded. And that was his thing. And I, I want to interject here, Derek, because I feel like in today's society, and of course, you've had much more experience with this than I have. But since I've been with you and we started, you know, even when we were just dating before we even got married, we ran Creation Cope, which was a driver development program, 2010, 2011. And I think there are a lot more unrealistic expectations now than in generations past. I feel like today parents have vicariously living through their children, given their kids maybe unrealistic expectations of their own abilities. Do you feel that is true? I believe so. 
And I think a lot of it comes from just, you know, you know, believing your kids, wanting more for them, wanting more for yourself. And, you know, the, you know, because there's so much, there's so much, I guess, focus on winning and focus on excitement and moving up the ranks. And there's a lot of, I mean, you look at it this day and age, there's a lot of media and social media and opportunities for these kids to actually showcase themselves and grow their brand. and Well, and your, even at a very amateur level, you are in the spotlight. You are. Where it wasn't that way. In years past, you're not going to be in the spotlight until you are pretty proficient in something and you're making waves. Right? Yeah, but in this day and age, you can almost create your own persona. Oh, yeah. You got your own brand by the time you're five years old. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You are your own brand. And I think so. That's, there's, that's good and bad. I think, but I, you know, I think being able to be proficient and having, you know, things that you need to be responsible for, your social media, you know, looking at yourself as a brand, trying to do all those things. I think it's very important. Yeah, I think it is too. I, I, I totally know what um, line you're going down. And I feel that parents almost do their kids a disservice by telling them you are the greatest thing since sliced bread, because like your father told you, Son, you're very good. I'm, v- I'm very proud of you because we certainly want self-confident children, you know, and especially in this day and age of bullying and, and, you know, you hear about teen suicide and, you know, them getting too much in, you know, negative influence. We want our children to be confident and we want them to know that we're proud of them in every endeavor that they seek. However, I think there needs to be a balance when your child's going down a path that is probably not their calling. You might enjoy that. That's going to be a good hobby, but it might not be your career. And we have three daughters, all very, very different. And I think it's difficult too. We see in motorsports where you've got sisters or brothers that come into the sport together. And it's obvious that one probably has more talent than the other. And it takes a lot for the parents to realize that. And Not that one has to say, okay, well, I'm not going to race anymore, but you do have to prepare your child that you're not going to be the best, or you're not always going to be better than, you know, your sister or your brother and your sister or your brother may surpass you in this particular area. And I have always felt like we were really good at saying, you know, especially one was really good at, at singing. One was incredibly you know, intelligent academically, you know, one was very artistic, enhance those particular arts, even if they do still want to do the things that big brother or big sister or little sister is doing, you do have to be able to say, I'm not as good as that person. And I think we've lost that in parenting to be able to prepare our children for the world. They have to know that they're not always going to win. They're not always going to be the best, even with the best of equipment, even with the best of practice. It's not always going to show up. In my opinion, again, I believe that strongly that you have to look at, and we talked about the deficiencies, right? But I think you have to really hone in on, you know, what, where am I lacking? What, 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 what elements of this actual choice I've made, you know, is, is, um, the worst. And you, I always got, you know, when I had a good day, I always got, you know, that, yeah, that was, a, that was a good day. 
but I expected the but to from come your dad, from my dad. Exactly. And then inevitably, it was every time. We always would have a discussion. And we'd say, and we'd start talking about racing and about how the day went, you know, blah, 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 blah. I may have won the race, may not have, may have run second or whatever, may have got the pole, but finished second. And, you know, you'd, you'd get in the car and you just wait for the conversation to start. And then, you know, we would discuss it and then it would be, you know, you know, yeah, we had a pretty good day, you know, but, and the, but would be the segue to the deficiencies and the elements that we're not as good at. And I think it was for, for me, I was always looking at what we had to do to overcome those, those bad things or the things that maybe prevented me from, you know, getting the win or what mistake did I make? What did maybe as a team, what did we, what choice did we make that maybe was a you know, deterrent from getting to that point? So we would try to break it down and assess all the things that led up to that. Now, let me ask you this. <clears throat> did you get resentful over your dad doing that to you? Did you not like that? Because you hear kids like, I'm never good enough. You always have a but. I think it's, it's important that you embrace the counsel that you're going to get as hard as it may be. And we see a lot of arrogancy in these kids coming up. And especially when we ran, you know, Creation Cope and we had, you know, foreign drivers coming in and they'd already been, say, the top of the top in their, you know, European class. Did you, as a youngster, you know, did you get angry when your dad always started with, hey, you did good at this, but, or did you embrace that counsel? I never, I think in the beginning, maybe you always, you know, you're wanting adulation. You know, you want to hear how great you are. And you kind of expect when you had a really good day or you won the race, you would think that it would just be complete adulation and, you know, everybody's like just talking you up. We would, we would certainly talk about, you know, winning the race and, you know, uh, we had a really good day, you know, blah, 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 and all the things that happened around it, you know, maybe. But then, then we really start into a breakdown process and we would break down some of the things that maybe the reasoning why we maybe kind of maybe got, maybe not lucked into the race, but think some elements that happened that, you know, really kind of put us in a position to have a good day when our car maybe wasn't quite as good. Right. And we, we talk about, well, do you really think the car was really that good? Or do you think that, you know, you just made the right moves to get out front and then you were hanging on, you know, and you run the bottom and you really, you know, you basically were in the way at the end, but you ended up winning the race because that's the way you have to run the, the right, track. Right. You sandwiched so it. You well. figure it out. Right. So I think, again, a lot of us access assessing what you do and how you do it is the important thing. And you, and you, and you explain it to the kid, you know, say, look, I'm not trying to, you know, diminish the fact that we did really good today. You know, we finished, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, or first or second. But I want to talk about the things that will make us better in the future, because I think you have to make kids realize that wherever you're at, there's another level that you're going to have to get to and another, another level of proficiency that we have to do. And that's why there's certain times when I think it's positive to go, you know, people talk about staying in a division, win a championship, you know, prove your worth, and then we'll look at going beyond, right? Well, I've never really been that, that hasn't been the mentality of my family or maybe me so much. I, I always felt like, let's, let's go to an area and race there and become proficient, learn what we can learn, but I need to race against better people. I need to, I need to get my ass whipped. I need yes. to figure out why I'm getting my butt whipped because yes. the levels get harder as you go along. 
That's one point that um, John Maxwell made. I was uh, privileged to go to a health uh, conference in Phoenix just a few weeks ago, and John Maxwell was the keynote speaker. And I'm telling you, he really honed that point that if you are the best in your sphere, then you better get out of it because you're not learning anything and you're not stretching yourself. Always be, whether it's your career, your hobby, your sport, whatever it is, you need to be in a group of people where you are not the best. In fact, you're at the bottom because that's where you're going to grow. Yeah. And I think, you know, a lot, obviously there's things that, you know, prevent you from doing those things quickly, especially if you are young and the divisions you're in, you've gotten a chance to be in division. You really can't step up because of your age or something. Then obviously there are things that, you know, are going to prevent you from doing those in a, maybe an expeditious manner. But if you are dominating in something, you need to find something else, another form of it that you can go into and do where it's more either you got to you got to tax yourself, you have to find a different discipline and do things there that maybe push you to, you know, absorb other things that will actually, you know, build you uh, and make you more proficient overall. And I think that's what I, I, I see a lot of people and you know, they want to stay in race and they run, they stay and they stay and stay and they win a championship and the next thing they're the greatest thing since sliced bread. You know, then you leave there and you go into somebody else's backyard and you get a whipping and you realize, how does this happen? You have to really understand that, again, once a guy goes to a racetrack, he runs there all the time. He knows every nuance, every crack, every bump, everything. So then they're proficient there. But it's the same thing in other forms of life or business, right? You leave those things. You better find another path, another way to go because there are differences in every step of the way. Well, and we saw that just in, um, we just uh, were at Road Atlanta this weekend with Nitro Motorsports. And that track is very different. I mean, just talking to other drivers from other teams, not just our own, that they're used to winning at some tracks over and over again. But this particular track was very technical. A lot of different elevation changes. And you saw that there were a lot of drivers that typically were out front that were not because this was a hard track for them. And the same thing with what you're talking about, you're, you're going to be comfortable at certain things and certain series and certain disciplines, tracks, whatever it may be. Once you do develop that comfort, it's time to move on. It's time to move on or move up or move out to something different so that you can become more well-rounded. Well, you talk about I guess to draw an analogy to what you just said, when you play golf, there are certain golf courses that fit your eye. You like to draw the ball. So, you know, it's got dog legs to the left, places like that. Things just visually, optically, you see really well and you're comfortable with that. So when you're standing over the ball, it's a lot easier to make that, that same, you know, structured swing. And uh, it's muscle memory, right? So it, you are comfortable making that swing based on what you're seeing and viewing. When you go to a racing, it's much the same thing. You have racetracks that fit your eye, that fit your sense of how you optically see a racetrack. When, you move, when you're driving a race car, you have to move your eyes. And you have to really look forward to where. So when you're looking at someplace, that's where you drive the car to. So moving your eyes having foresight into, into what the racetrack's going to give, having it physically in your mind, like, you know, which is a lot easier these days because of simulators and all the things that these kids have access to, even to the length now of, you know, all the data analysis that's available. So 
you know, the, the whole, I guess the whole concept has changed dramatically, but these racetracks we were just talking about, you, a lot of drivers don't drive by the seat of their pants. They drive by a reference point. So they want to drive into the corner to a marker, three, two, one. They want to see a, a rock on the side of the road. They want to see a cone. They want to see something, a tree. You know, you look at things and that's how people would drive to the corners. I never did that. I always drove by the seat of my pants and I would always strive to get in the corner as hard as I could and then manipulate the car and then battle the car for the exit because I had less equipment. I didn't have the motor that everybody else had. I had to find a way to get in the corner harder, get alongside somebody, and then find a way to pass them. Flat tracks make you do that. So I grew up on flat tracks with not a lot of grip. Then you go to other places in the Midwest and upper Midwest, and you got places with a lot of high bank racetracks, and you learn how to drive a car in the corner, use the banking to turn the car, and you change your, the way you drive a race car visually, and the way you look out of the front and the horizon you see, all these things are different by where you grow up, the types of racetracks you run. So you go to Road Atlanta this past weekend, a lot of elevation changes, as you alluded to, a lot of high speed corners and a lot of S's and transitions back and forth, right? Then, you know, drive uphill and you drive downhill. So you have momentum, you have lack of momentum. You have to, you have to make sure you carry uh, another, maybe another gear. The, instead of, you know, trying to carry this, the one speed through that you think you're going fast, other guys take a little bit out of, a little bit out of the momentum and change gears and then drive up the hill. You have to be really cognizant of what the racetrack's giving you and then feeling it in your butt and realizing, is this car moving weight? You know, and those are the things that we did as driver development because we didn't have data analysis to look at where, how much brake force we were using. You know, how many feet am I beating this guy in the corner by or not beating him in the corner? Yes, that is very interesting and something that we didn't even have back in Creation Cope days. I mean, just 10 years ago, we didn't have this data analysis. I remember so many times you would say, you're using too much brake with someone and they'd say, no, I didn't touch the brakes. Well, now you're able to say, I, I remember some of the drivers we had in the Cup Series, you're like, um, here's the data. It doesn't lie. You're on the brakes. Or the same as, um, you know, they say, I was, I was flat, I was flat, flat to the mat. Look at the data. No, you're not. So the data doesn't lie. You used to be able to fudge that drivers, you know, could tell you something. And even though in your mind, you'd be like, yeah, I don't really believe it. But now it's like, you cannot fudge the data and it makes it better because it is an indicator of whether or not you have the not just the ability, but the guts to do what needs to be done in those certain situations. And I think that's what it comes down to in motorsports is it's not always the ability. It's also mind over matter. It is the fear factor that these kids either have it or they don't. Well, you can look at the, we talked about building a race car driver or finding a way to you know, implement something where they can learn what has been successful. And I think maybe like even like the path of like a Jeff Gordon, Jimmy Johnson deal, right? When, when you have a template to go by and you have data analysis and you can have a guy that's really fast and it's winning races and here's how he's doing it. And same thing that we're doing now in, in, in Nitro and other things. You have a guy that's up front and winning races with a template that you want to base it off of for the up and coming guys. 
and the ones that maybe aren't as fast. And they can now visually look at it and say, okay, you break it down corner by corner, straightaway by straightaway, breaking zone by breaking zone. And then you have to bring in the elements of you have to you look forward. You have to be able to see this optically. You have to move your eyes and do this. So you add in all these other ancillary things along with, okay, you're getting beat by 60 feet going in the corner, 60 feet. You're on the break. He's, he's using, he's on it less. He's using a spike of 800 pounds of force on the break, and you're using 450 pounds. So that means he's beating you by 60 feet, right? He's getting in there. He's using more force, but for a less amount of time, and he's back in the gas before you are. So that's just time over distance. So now you're able to break all these things down, and you can show them where the speed is going. Then you got the speed chart. Say, you know, you beat him through here, but then they crossed back over you, and they gave it up, and then they exceeded what you're doing, and that carried seven mile an hour to the end of the long straightaway. So you need to change the way you attack this corner to get off this corner and build the speed down the straightaway. So those are the things we didn't have at Creation Cope. I was trying to look at it and see it visually. And that's where I think in this day and age, something that I have, I mean, I can read the data and I can do all of those things. But one thing that I do, I think better than most is that I can actually see it on the racetrack. When I see you know, a, a couple of drivers out there and we're trying to, you know, do the tutelage of, you know, what are you doing? I can sense what, you know, what I can see the, the actual movements in the wheel. I can see the position of the car and how directional the car gets and the level of, uh, you know, I guess, uh, quickness and, you know, uh, the car gets turned in a direction and then how it, you know, reaction goes the other direction. Then you have the visual aid aspect of having in-car cameras. Now we have video. In most of all, in all road racing, they give you these, you know, these in-car in cameras, you know, much like the GoPros, right? So you have all this ability to go look at these guys, what they're seeing out of the front of the car, which I can see it already when I just watch them on the racetrack. As a driver, you have a lot more perspective. Right. I can put myself in the seat. I can put myself where I can physically see what he's doing before I even go look at the video. And I, I have a real sense of, you know... The one thing I can't see is how frantic he is in the car or maybe how panicked or how much grip he's getting the wheel. Uh, but I can see it on the racetrack. It isn't interesting, though, that you can see the amount of fear and panic um, in the data. Yes. Yes. So you, can, you look at the video and I can see like from a, a regular standard lap to a qualifying lap. And then you can just see the excessive movement in their hands. You can see the gripping of the wheel. You can see about, you know, everything about how they're getting to a corner and then you can see the reach for the shifter you can see the, the way they shift the car you can see a lot of things right the excessive movement the car has you can just see when a guy becomes panicked maybe more frantic at certain areas and you can you you can teach you can start to teach then about you have to sit back in the seat you have to breathe you will physically hold your breath and we all do it we all have that time that that happens and the one thing that we always teach right now in road racing is matching the rpm most everything that we've ever every kid that we've seen from the start of this even the ones that are winning the races when we started they don't they don't match the rpms going in the corners because they don't have auto blip like some of the higher divisions have you have to physically rev the motor up as you shift 
to match the RPMs of the back wheels. And what happens is you do it okay or enough when you're in normal laps, but when you get ready to qualify or in the race, when you're trying to outbreak somebody, you get in that panicked state where time, you know, the amount of feet you have to work with has diminished and you have to make all these choices and downshift and auto and blips of the throttle in a very shorter period of time. So if you're not, it's not, if it's not instinctive and you haven't practiced it and become proficient at doing it, you make a mistake and you wheel hop and you either run into the guy and you get protested and you lose spots or you make the pass proficiently and away you go. Those are the differences about listening, teaching, and, you know, the proficiency level of the individual, you know, be willing to listen yes, and, and apply it. And that's where the student driver has to be open to listening to someone because that can only be taught by listening to a more experienced driver tell you that. Yeah, absolutely. And it comes down to respect, right? And I think, you know, you have like the, the Miyagi, you know, you know, teacher student, you have to understand that a lot of these people have been through it before. They've been taught. I've, I've been taught at Bob Bonderon. Bob Bonderon was one of the most famous, you know, driving instructors that's been in the sport. And you, you learn things as you go and you get parasite knowledge. You get, you, you get experience from other people. You listen and all the, and you do, and you have trial by fire. <laughs> when you physically do it in all these different types of race cars you do, there's all these things that come through and, and you retain them and you understand the differences between a lightweight car, you know, to a heavier car, to a car with massive downforce, with no downforce, big tires, small tires, wet tires in the wet. When you do all those things, you can bring a lot to the table. And I love having all that experience to where I can try to, you know, pass that along, but you have to have receptiveness. Yes. And I think that's what you, to this day and age, what, what fathers and mothers and that have kids in motorsports, you have to be willing to, you know, push the fact that you need to be receptive. Yeah. You need to listen. You need to stop talking and you need to figure out what the problems are. And the discussion has to change. That dynamic has to be a part of when you are riding home or when you're sitting around and talking, you know, when you're watching a race after you've done your race. You need to be talking about where, did, where were the mistakes we made from the start time, the time we got there. Were you late for the driver's meeting? Were you off playing around with your buddies, riding around? Were you not walk? Did you not do the walk, track walk? You got to find all the elements that, that you, you have really, access to that you need to take advantage of. Exactly. You know, and if there is data analysis and there's opportunities for that, you need to be studying that yourself. You need to have a computer. You need to have all the data on your computer. And you need to start analyzing it yourself. Ultimately, if you have that ability and those resources, you have to use them. And if you don't, you try to find them. And, you know, those are the things that I think it comes down to both student and parent. It's you, huge. The it's parents huge. are huge. And <clears throat> I feel like I've come full circle because when I first came into motorsports, you weren't driving so much. You were partially driving in the Xfinity series, but we were mainly doing driver development. And then we went into, you know, owning and, and operating our own Xfinity team. And then we, you know, operated the cup team. And now it's come back to driver development and you're back in a mentorship role. And I can definitely say from personal experience and also being, you know, I was a dance instructor and gymnastics coach for 19 years, you know, before getting into marketing. 
and, you know, being around all of those dance moms, you know, it's the same thing. You know, parents, if there's a piece of advice that I have seen and observed, it's you can't brag about your children in front of other people. And of course, it's warranted if you win the race. Absolutely. You should have pride and brag. But the, the bragging has to have a balance. And then there has to be the counsel. You know, here's what you need to do. You, if there's an experienced person like Derek Cope in your garage, you need to be listening to him. You need to be gathering from him. Why would you not go over and engage in a conversation with someone who has that much experience? And there's a lot of people like yourself in the garages now. Also, I think parents do their kids a disservice by always blaming someone else for a negative result. Maybe their kid got taken out of the race. Maybe their you know, daughter got pushed. Maybe you know, the equipment failed. But always coming up with an excuse as to why they didn't win the race or they didn't do better definitely doesn't serve your kid well. And it applies to, you know, miscues and wrecks and things like that. I think you really just have to be able to say, it's okay to say, I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know what happened. I just either I got in over my head, I made a poor decision, or I was trying to rough this guy up and, you know, it just didn't, didn't work out right. You have to really just be open with yourself. Well, and, the kid needs to have accountability yeah, for his own mistakes. You have to have accountability. But the parents have to be able to say, hey, I noticed that, you know, you did this or that probably not the best decision. Yeah. I think at some point you just got to pull their horns in a little bit. Sometimes you got to say, okay, look, we're not, you know, we're, if we're on the hook every week and we're tore up every week. Oh, this, we're not, we're not, we're, we're not win learning. We're, right. we're, we're obviously, yes. we're, we're making, we're making big costly mistakes Yes. and you have to pull your horns in a little bit and say, okay, we need to finish these races first. And if it's meaning take fourth or 10th, or whatever the case may be, let's, you have to finish first, you know, and then first finish. Yeah. We yes. gotta, we gotta, we gotta do that. Right. <laughs> to and finish then, first, you must first finish. You know, we have to, we have to bring the car. The only way we can get better each week is to bring the same car back and not keep, you know, uh, working on it. And, and I want to make a point here that we're not talking, we're not pinpointing anything that happened this weekend. We're talking about in general. And certainly when we did, um, we had driver development, even in the Xfinity series, kids that were going up to the Cup series, we had drivers that we put in the car and they would crash the car every single week. Aggression is great. Ambition is great. Getting in there and digging is great. But if you are wrecking that car every single week, like you said, you're not learning anything. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's easier to, you know, slow a kid down than having to push a kid forward or to find speed, right? But there's a balance there, right? And I think that, you know, a lot of these kids just have, you know, they're not afraid of anything. They are just got, you know, full aggression and they're on kill, you know, all the time. And to some degree, it's, 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 yeah, I like seeing it. Yeah, you know? that's a good thing. I love to see it. Right. Um, but there is a balance. Right. And, um, you know, again, the, the driver over the years, you're always going to find somebody better than you. I, it's inevitable. And if you think you don't or that you are the best, then you're a little misguided. Check yourself. Right off the bat, you're yeah. misguided. So there's always somebody better. And, you know, they, you know, maybe they had access to more things or different equipment or different people, whatever. But the bottom line is you're never going to stop learning. And you have to keep that in your, in your mind that I will learn something this weekend when I go there. My intent is to go there 
and learn as much as I can. And how do I do that? Well, I get there early. I'm around the cars. I talk to the people there and I ask questions. And then have your own data, look at the data, prepare yourself for that first session of what do I want to accomplish it. You set out a plan of practice and you go out and you, and you do it. And then you bring back all that information. And then you have to like start breaking the information down. And that's how you attack a race weekend. And, you know, you just don't show up and just feel like it's all going to happen. And this is a, you know, a fun trip. It, it's work. It's hard work. If you want to be good and, you know, you know, again, you got to put the work in. And that's the one thing I've always said, you know, it's like you, you talk about guys that maybe don't have quite as much talent and maybe they haven't had the success and their mental focus of it is, you know, well, I've always been, you know, not quite as fast as this and that. Well, stop saying that. First of all, let's figure out why we haven't been. We're in this, we're in the same position. Let's go figure out what we're doing wrong. Let's figure out what it's going to take for you from a mind over matter standpoint. Well, this corner here, high speed, most people, you know, there's a few people that, you know, will go wide open. And I've been in that position before. I've been at places like Michigan where I'm running the corner and, you know, I feel my toes curl up and I'm trying to carry as much speed as I can, but then I know I'm not wide open. And I'm like mad at myself because I'm not having the ability to stay flat and push me my limits. I know the car probably will do it, but I have a barrier and I haven't been able to do it. And then finally, I make an adjustment on the car that I know will give me that sense of what I'm looking for to make me overcome that You just need trust. Moment. Exactly. You have in to your trust car. yourself mm -hmm. and your car. And then I would go out there and I said, I don't care. I am going flat on the mat and then I will battle the, 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 the thing, the, the result. I mean, if the car just pushes or it wants to step out, I will be ready for anything that happens, but I will be wide open to that point that I have my toes curled up before. You go on, you push the barriers of the things that you feel like when you start to pull back. And then all of a sudden, you won't realize how close you are to the transition point when the car gets directional and goes the other way, you know, oval track, or, you know, you get by the corner. And all of a sudden, you figure you're gonna, I'm just going to battle the exit or I'll lift on the exit, but I'm going to go flat through this corner. And then all of a sudden the car makes the transition. Your eyes see that you've already made the car turn to the point where you're through it. And then the next corner, you're like, you made it through there wide open. The next corner you go in there and you feel like your pinky's up and you're just hanging on, your hands are relaxed. And you know, it's wide open. The car's capable of doing it. It's become that mind over matter. And that's a huge thing. Once you overcome one of those obstacles like that and you do it once, you understand the process. You know how to become and push you beyond limits that you have because we all have them. But once you do that, you know you can overcome about anything that a race car can or cannot do and you push yourself. Yes, and that's definitely what, uh, an example of experience is your best teacher. You're not going to be able to teach that, but you definitely can be a great mentor in this is what you can expect. And if, you know, the drivers and development listen to a mentor that has been through it and able to say, hey, you are going to scare yourself. And I always remember that because we were always in a position with our Xfinity team where we had to race our way in. The fields were big. We did not have points and we were racing our way in. And, and we so, had equipment that wasn't quite oh, and as, definitely it, subpar. Near as good subpar equipment. Yes, absolutely. Subpar Motors. equipment. Yeah, everything. <laughs> And you would always tell me, well, it's time to go scare myself when it was time for qualifying. Now you loved qualifying, but there were some tracks 
I remember at Watkins Glen and, you know, the field was full and, you know, it definitely wasn't a track that fit your eye. You always say fit your eye. That's not one that you felt did. And I said, are you ready for this? And you said, ready to go scare myself. And that's the expectation you have to have going in is that you're going to push your mental capacity and your fear factor to the edge. Well, especially when you, when you don't have enough race car, you have to go beyond the capability of the tire, the load the tire will take beyond the arrow you have capabilities of, you have to physically hang on. And you somehow have to manipulate that car. You're doing what it doesn't really want to do. And, you know, sometimes you're going different. You're driving it differently than other people are because they can get out of the gas and go back to the throttle. They have enough horsepower to turn the car and do it. And you can't do that. You got to go almost to their wide open. So you got to make the car, you know, suspension wise has to be different. You know, you have to make choices the way you enter the corner and you got to hang on for dear life to make that lap, to make up the deficit. So. I've always been, I felt like a good qualifier. I've always been able to find speed. I have done things that I feel like that, you know, when I got poles at places that when I went flat around the deal, you know, some of the greatest drivers I know said, there is no way we can go wide open through there. And I said, well, I can guarantee you I'm flat. And I would show them in the race because I'd let them get to me and I'd go wide open and I'd put six car lengths or 10 car lengths on them. And they're like, this is incredible. But those are the things that you have within you but you just have to draw on them and you have to bring them out. And that's what, if young people will find people that have done it before, those are the people you want to have at your side and let them talk you through it and get into, and it doesn't always work out for you, but I was always taught, listen to what they might say. My dad would say, listen to what they say and then discard what doesn't work for you. Discard what doesn't work for your driver or what you don't have the ability to do. Draw on something, but take one thing out of there, find something that you can take, learn from it and implement it in a way you drive a race car. So you just try to do all those things. And that's how a parent, I think, has to approach is give them the options, give them the resources of people, talk to people, ask questions, beg, borrow, steal the opportunity for somebody just to talk to them and then give them a pointer. Just give them a pointer. And then if you can draw that pointer out, you've learned something that day. You have made a great, a, a gain. And that's how I would approach every time you go to the racetrack. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I hope this has given our listeners some value, especially if you, you know, have a child in any type of motorsports and you want them to succeed. And sometimes you're wondering how much praise and how much counsel do you need to give, you know, for, you know, you want them to have validity. You want them to have the confidence. And you always want your child to know that you're proud of them, no matter what the outcome. I mean, certainly they're not always going to win. Maybe they never win, but you're always proud of them and proud of their efforts. But balance that, balancing the ambition with the realism, because I don't think, I mean, as a person of integrity, you know, we just, we want our children to grow up to be people of integrity, not, you know, athletes, but good people as well. You know, of course we want them to succeed in their career of choice, but we also want them to realize that there's so much to be gained by listening to others that have been through it. That's the key. Be a good listener. I think, you know, the youth of today, you know, they, you know, I've seen so many kids that, you know, are around the racetrack and you listen to them talk and you listen. I don't, I don't butt in. I don't even try to acknowledge you. I just stand back and I just listen. And you get a real sense of who they are, 
where they're at, and then you watch them on the racetrack, and you have to, you have a feeling like if these, if these, if these kids would change their approach, and you know, just do a couple things differently and look at a situation or the way that they approach the race themselves and be there. If they would ask questions, I'm telling you, there is so much to be gained if you just find the guys that have the experience, the other drivers even, and you come in good faith and just ask for help. You normally get it. People will help you if you ask. And Ultimately, the only time they don't is when you get close to where they're at or you actually beat them or they are qualifying. Then that's when it stops. But that's what the process is. Then you become the guy that somebody else is going to come and ask a question to. So it really is the dynamic of growing as an individual. But sometimes you have to be able to, you know, be grounded enough to go ask for help and be willing to listen, apply it. Figure out what works, what doesn't, and discard what doesn't, and then try to implement what does. But you're always going to find something. You're always going to find something. If you listen, you're always going to find something that you can apply. And if you do implement it, imagine how great it could be if it does give you some level of success or improvement. Yeah, because you go, even at the lower level, you go to a go-kart track, and you just watch what people are doing, and you talk to them. And then, you know, if you go out and drive yours, you'll find something different. And, you know, again, there's so many things in different forms of racing, you know, and you start talking about, you know, if it's going to rain and you got to run in the rain the first time, man, you better be talking to somebody who's done it before Mm -hmm. because there are elements that are totally different and you drive it completely different and the feel's different and your ability to process the information is very different. And you know, you need to talk to people to get a sense of it. So you have some type of, you know, sense of what's going to happen, what could happen, right? And then you have to go in with no real preconceived ideas as much as you can, because they're going to creep into your mind. Right. Especially if you're talking to other people. We are so mental, right? We are so mental that we always look at the pessimistic side or the what ifs about, oh, it's scary, this and that. You have to go in and say, look, I'm going to take, I can drive a race car. I can do this. I'm going to go take it as it comes. I'm going to just see what, how I feel at the moment in time. And I'm going to make good conscious decisions then. Anytime you go in preconceived ideas and notions, nothing ever works out the way you think they will. And then you make poor decisions because you're thinking it's going to happen this way. And by the time it happens, you're late. Mm-hmm. You have to go in and just sense it, feel it, and react at that point in time. But if you've talked to people and they've given you notions on what could and couldn't happen, when you get there, that's resonated with you. It's in your mind and you will just react to it when it happens if you don't dwell on it. So, and then once you do it one time, you retain that. It's like kids. I mean, the young kids, when you're talking and you say a word that they've never heard before, then they repeat that word mm-hmm. over and over again, right? Yeah. Well, that stays with you. So when somebody tells you something, you know, if you're truly listening, right, you are taking that in. Well, if you hear something that you don't know, you should say, well, what is that? Yeah. And that's why you should always be talking to people that are better than you. You should be talking to people who have the experience that you don't. Talking to usually people older than you that have already been down this path. As much as you think you might know more than them, or you think, like in your case, that these kids think, well, you're not relevant anymore because the cars are, are different than what you drove. Or the competition is different than when you were driving at a competitive level. 
the one thing that is always going to remain the same is the ability that you have to manipulate a race car. It doesn't matter what you're in, how heavy it is, how, um, how much data you have, how computerized it is or not or antiquated, how you manipulate a race car is go- always going to remain the same. Yeah. It's all ignorant iron. And, you know, all the geometries and all the things that we've started, in the, you know, in the beginning are the basis and the foundation of what we have today. It's just a different, a lot of it's just wrapped differently. You know, it's all CNC'd, it's prettier, it's made out of, you know, billet aluminum and all those things. But the, the total pretenses are all the same. And the race cars may be quicker steering. They may have rack and pinion. They may have different shock absorbers. They manipulate the arrow. They do a lot of those things. But I've been in so many different types of race cars that I really can sense what the car is doing by attitude, by transition, you know. So I can see it on top of the truck. I can see it on the, on the, you know, the bridge across the, the racetrack. And then a lot easier when I see in-car camera. I mean, I physically put myself in the seat and you've done it for that many years. It's just second nature. And, you know, that's what you want. The more repetition, the more reps, the more you do it, the more it is going to be instinctive for you. It has to become instinctive. Yes. One of my biggest mottos is do it scared. The first time you're going to have to do it scared. And then experience is your best teacher. It is. So, you know, it's been, you know, Again, a lot of insightful things that's just to put, you know, ideas out there, thoughts in your mind, and for you to all maybe, you know, assess what you've been doing, how you've been doing it, and look for alternatives. It's the same process for the parents and other people that are listening. It's like you reassess, look at another way of viewing things with your children, you know, your job, your, you know, your racing, you know, there, you have to take a second look and you have to reapply and reassess at all times. I think you, it's a constant change that you have to be able to be receptive to so i guess that we'll call it a day yeah it was nice uh being with you today and i hope that this episode definitely gave you some value and um this is the end of march and the second chapter is coming out it's a good one it's one of my favorites make sure you check it out Derek cope dot club race theory dot club and anytime you comment on any of our social media platforms please use hashtag race theory well thanks for listening And we'll see you next time on Race Theory. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. Did this episode give you some value? If so, please follow us on Facebook at Derek Cope and Instagram at Derek Cope 00. And leave a comment or question and use hashtag Race Theory. We can't wait to hear from you. See you on the next episode.